Previously on Reunion, Shark Attacks in Paradise. I show him the picture of uh, Sarah, cut in two. Oh, cut in two. As soon as the accident happened, I was informed straight away, and I went to the beach straight away. When I arrived, the police brought the bag past us. It was just a big plastic bag in which there was the body of Sarah. So I see this image. I see the police carrying the bag, carrying a dead body. It has a shape. Normally it does. For us, it just didn't look like a dead body. I have this image in my head of this bag being carried that didn't look like a dead body. So what does it actually feel like to be prey? What does the antelope feel, right? Like perfectly alive still, but with its neck already in a cheetah's teeth. I mean, isn't that the root of our whole shark attack fascination, that question? And I mean, sure, that experience of being prey, at least prey to non-human predators, is vanishingly rare these days for pretty much all human beings. But the opposite has been true for the overwhelming majority of all animals that have ever lived on this earth. And that is a giant number, by the way. It's something like 10 to the 30th. But the opposite has even been true for the overwhelming majority of human beings through most of the history of our species, which goes back about 300,000 years. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that Animals get eaten by other animals on this earth, and we are animals with a deep and ancient collective memory of getting eaten. In fact, I think it's almost fair to say that there is something deeply normal about that experience, at least in sort of cosmic, you know, world historical terms. And it's probably also fair to say that by late 2013 on Reunion Island, contemplation of that deeply normal experience of being prey in the mouth of a predator had to have been pretty common among people like, well, let's say Tungi Gikel, a young man who loved to swim. I'm Dan Duane, and this is Reunion, Shark Attacks in Paradise, Episode 10, Prey. One more thought before we hear from Tungi. This whole story about Reunion Island, it has an awful lot of trauma and loss at its heart. So just to tell it, I've asked a lot of people to relive the most painful experiences of their lives for me. And not everyone's been up to it. I can think of three people like just offhand who said, no, just point blank, nope, no thanks, I'm good. Because of course, right? And it was also pretty common for people to ask me during interviews what I was up to and why. And I completely understood. Well, uh, first thing in my mind was, uh, do they want to use my story to make money, like just uh, making uh, emotional stuff, uh, stories to, to sell? I was a bit concerned about it. 
look, that there's no there's no escaping the the validity of that concern of yours. I mean, look, I'm I'm a professional writer. I write books. I write a lot about surfing. I've written books about water and a lot of articles about water and other subjects. But it is what I do for a living, you know. Um, and uh, we, everybody here in this production team, you know, we love this work that we do, and we try to do it with integrity. And and um, but you know, it, that's a valid question, and I hope you'll keep raising that question with me. Okay, so don't don't feel like you have to let that question go. Um, I don't want to. <laughs> okay, and let's 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 keep that in the air between us. Sure. Tanguy is a slender and thoughtful guy, by the way, of mixed French and Moroccan Berber descent. He grew up in a modest little town south of Saint-Luc called Etang Salé, or Salt Pond. Etang Salé isn't really a tourist destination. It's more just a place people live. And Tanguy loved the water there growing up. He loved swimming and body surfing. You know, that, that's where you don't, you don't use any kind of board. You just swim to catch waves and ride them with your body kind of outstretched. And Tanguy was also abroad for the first couple years of the shark crisis. He was off in Belgium studying. But he came back in late 2013, after the prefecture, the French national government on reunion, formally outlawed surfing and swimming on the entire coast of Reunion Island. But with that one little wrinkle, individual town mayors were given discretion to re-legalize surfing and swimming in designated areas under their jurisdiction. This turns out to be sort of politically interesting for reasons we'll get to in the next episode. But for now, suffice to say that most mayors wanted no part of declaring any stretch of coast safe because then if somebody gets chomped, it's on the mayor. But town bureaucrats in Etang Saleh, where Tangi lived, were a little more iconoclastic and basically said, screw it, nobody's ever gotten hurt on our beach. People have been swimming here forever. We'll just put out a lifeguard and let people keep swimming. So on October 26th, 2013, when Tungi was 24 years old, he went body surfing with some friends, like he'd done countless times before throughout his life at that very spot. It was a beautiful sunny day just after noon. I was not really motivated to go there. Like my friend really told me, come, 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 the waves are good, let's go there. And I was, ah, you know, a long time since I've been in the, in the sea. Uh, so I was just coming back from Belgium at that time, like uh, one week before I came back to Reunion. So I didn't really uh, took time to, to re, enfin, pour retrouver mes, mes sensations et mes, mes habitudes to get used to being in the water again, so I wasn't completely comfortable straight away. But I went into the water, I followed him, but I still had this apprehension. And this meant that I was actually trying to avoid the, the waves and go further out beyond the break. Tangi speaks good English, but I had our British interpreter along because Tangi felt as if he would speak sort of more comfortably if he could go back and forth between languages. There were 15 of you in the water that day. And like 50 people on the beach, also around. Wow. I asked Tangi about the conditions that day. It was uh, 
not a pure shiny day, but it was mostly shiny with some few uh, clouds. The water was clean. It, the last rain was like three days before, so the condition was quite okay. And uh, the waves were big, like uh, one meter and a half and more. So the, the conditions were good, but my own conditions were not so good. And that's an important factor, I think, that I wasn't feeling particularly good myself. And tell me why, why is that an important factor? How did that affect you? It was impactful because I wasn't able to stay in the waves, so I was too far, just going myself further in the ocean. I felt like I was too far away from the other swimmers. So since I was out of the group, I felt like it was a bad move to get out of the group. I felt like a, an easy prey and it was really important to get near the others to, to be protected by the group, in fact. Yeah, sort of hanging out on the outside to avoid the bigger Waiting waves. Waiting the big waves to pass and go back after that. That was the yeah. plan. Okay, were you wearing flippers? Fins, no. swim fins? No, no fins. I had nothing at that time. That was okay. part of the problem. <laughs> right. It's hard to it's hard to catch and body surf a good size wave without swim fins when you can't push off the bottom when you're in deep water offshore. Yeah. Tungi was doing the interview from an outdoor porch, by the way, which was pretty common on reunion. So if you hear dogs in the background, you know, that's that's why. At this point in our conversation, I just was curious what the view looked like to him from the water. You know, so like when he's out in the water floating around swimming and he looks back at the shore. Well, uh, you have like uh, a big uh, bay all over on your left, on your right, sandy beach. Uh, the sand is uh, black and a bit of uh, olivine. But what is very pretty in Réunion is that we can see the island, the mountains looming up in the background, covered in vegetation. So this is huge mountain in front of us beyond this line of forest. Okay, so then tell me about the instant of the attack, you know, did you sense something? Did you see something? Did you feel something? Did you Sure, I did. Yeah. Uh, so at the point just before the attack, I had been moved, I was away from the rest of the group. My friend Alexandre wasn't too far, maybe one or two meters behind me. I was looking out towards the sea, towards the horizon, and I saw from the right in my blind spot, I saw a, a, a wave moving towards me, and I could see it was perpendicular, and I could see straight away that it was a shark. It was 20 meters away when I first spotted it. And it hit me from the surface. Did I hear you correctly that you say you saw this shark 20 meters away? Sure. Uh, it was a bull shark, so it was going fast, straight to me. Mm. Wow. And I had a second and a half to try and react, and I shouted, there's a shark, for all the others. And that's when I started uh, swimming away, looking behind me, over my shoulder, and two seconds later he was on me, and he grabbed my leg, and I shouted to Alexandre, he's got me, 
He's got me by the leg. Donc euh, j'ai pu euh, communiquer avec les autres. I was able to communicate this to the others, and all the others went straight out. They hadn't understood that I'd been attacked. Uh, they just thought that they had to all get out as quickly as possible. So the shark grabbed me. And had everybody else gotten out of the water? Was it your friend, the only one who stayed? He was the only one to understood that I was attacked because he was near me. The others were like 10 or 15 meters far back, so they didn't saw me getting attacked. Since it's underwater, you don't see much, and they just get back to the shore and didn't uh, did not understood what happened. Et moi, pendant ce temps-là, je me suis défendu. And I was trying to fight back. And, and, and how did you fight back? In what way? I was trying to punch him on the nose, trying to um, open its mouth. And as I tried to open its mouth with all my strength and all the energy, I um, lost these tips of my two fingers that you can see here. I could see that that was not having any effect at, at all. And as I realized I couldn't get away from his grip, the shark, together, we realized that I couldn't get away. And at that point, the shark shook me around like a rag doll, and my leg came off instantly. It was a lasted a fraction of a second, and the leg was broken. I had the impression that I'd kind of given up, and I, as if to say, you've won, I'm not going to fight against this, go for it. So he took my leg. You, you, you said you grabbed the mouth. Were you also trying to strike? The shark or uh, yes, I, I did. I did try to to smash in his nose, but si since I was underwater like this, with the shark on me, with no yeah. no way to have some recoil, ah, I, or, I, I couldn't yeah. do much. So the, the, really, the first idea was to open the mouth and get my leg off. That's the first thing I I did, and so uh, it didn't work. Well, after that, I, I knew it wasn't possible. When did you feel the emotion of fear when you saw the shark coming toward you? No. Initially? No, no, no. It was only uh, the urge to to act, to to mm. to say, to yell to others, to to move, to to start doing something to avoid it, but not no fear at all. No time for fear. In fact, it wasn't useful at that time. It was already too late. Yeah. 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 At least for my part, it was obvious that I couldn't fight back and then I had to submit to his strength. So I did. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch, involved in a then-unheard-of secret organization called the Illuminati, and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. 
First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. And the shock, like understanding it, I don't know, but at that precise moment, he stopped checking me and breaking my leg. I'm really struck by the word break. I have not heard people use that word in these things before, and it must be that that's very much what it felt like was the breaking of the bone or something. Is exactly. That right? It was comme quand on craque une brindille. It's when you snap a piece of wood. My leg was just like a matchstick. It was nothing for him. It just snaps in two, just like that, without any resistance, it seemed. I felt like it was really intelligent connection between us. Something like uh, uh, electricity going through us. Our brains communicate some way. Some way. And uh, I felt like I was trying to fight back. I couldn't. He understood that I couldn't. So he get out of his guard and start to, to break my leg to, to take what he came from, came for. So we, there was really a feeling between the two of us uh, trying to, to understand what is possible, what is uh, dangerous. They are very powerful animals, aren't they? That's, that's amazing. Two tons of because pressure from every centimeter of uh, Joe's. I mean, there's some way in which that moment of submission, it led to this horrible injury, but it also led to your being freed. It led to the end of the experience in a way, right? Exactly. Um, it wasn't like uh, I submit to death. That was not, a, not at all that feeling. It was more like, okay, I cannot do more about it. Do, do what you want. But uh, it was also understandable for me that it wasn't here for my life, even if I feared, like the way he left me, going straight down uh, to the bottom of the sea was kind of, uh, he took what he wanted and get out of it, get out of the situation. Uh, because also my friend was near me and watching and uh, at the first second when the shark uh, stopped uh, and left me, he came back to me to he swim. Uh, il est revenu vers moi. He came back to me. So I think also the shark might have uh, noticed that there was other people around. Tell me about the moment when you were aware that the shark was diving. Did you see it dive? Did you feel it dive both? Oh, I saw it going straight down. And also uh, I felt like the instant my leg broke, it was really clear. Uh, all uh, since I was like shaking, you know, like this uh, in the in the water. After he took my leg, after it breaks, I stopped moving, and uh, I was uh, suddenly like uh, in calm again, seeing him uh, go down, and also feeling everything with um, really great accuracy at that moment. Everything was precise, sound colors when you 
sort of go to the memory of that moment of great accuracy, you know, sensory accuracy. You know, what are the sounds and the and the colors? What what is so crisp? Is you know what color is? What, yeah. The the shark skin was really incredible in colors, like uh, electrical blue, oh, really oh, oh, oh. with many reflect on it. One time when I came fishing with a friend of there, uh, so we came to the sea fishing and we found a big, big fish like uh, an espadon de cent... Enfin, it was a swordfish. Oh no, it was a marlin, over 200 kilos. And we pulled it onto the boat. And I said to myself, look at this beautiful animal. This is more beautiful than me, stronger than me. And it's terrible that I am its predator, because it's beautiful, this, this uh, animal. It's royal, it's uh, magnificent, and I'm not up to its level uh, in any form. So, I mean, yeah. No, please, please. Uh, I, uh, I, I understand it like every people who experienced uh, hunting might have saw this kind of feeling in his life, like it's uh, it's intense, so you have death and and blood, but it's also uh, part of living. So it's it's really amazing, also in the same time. There's something fascinating that the human mind does in those mo- in in a in a moment of intense clarity. It it's so peculiar that our minds would see beauty, um, in in that instant. It's interesting to me that know that you'd been a fisherman um, and caught a marlin, huh? I'm not a fisherman at all. Okay. The okay, time I when I, I took, I okay. participate to fishing this big fish, I, I puke three times. And, <laughs> and one time when I was like, this animal is so mighty, I, I shouldn't kill him. And I was so sad about it that I puked from mm. it. I was really, really feeling bad from it. Mm. So I'm not really a fisherman at all. I, I love fish and I let them in the ocean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For the sound, it was just a wave. So, and my friend uh, yelling at me uh, from uh, the back. What were they yelling? I can't say. Don't know. Yeah, just the sounds of voices. And. As I said, the, the water was clear, so I could see until the bottom, until the sand. And uh, I saw the blood covering the water all around. And, and my, I even remember my short uh, fo- uh, falling off me and going down to the sea. So everything was uh, yeah, intense, but uh, yeah, it was quite clear. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. 
Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you with mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Were you aware in seeing that much blood, did that produce a fear in you of, boy, that's a lot of blood? I think that was uh, the, the mostly feared moment in all the attacks. Mm. When I saw the blood, like, it was, <gasps> I have to go fast to the beach. Really, I didn't say anything. I didn't saw with, j'ai pas pensé avec des paroles. I didn't think with any words. I understood straight away that I had to move fast, that this was the greatest danger. And that really woke me up and shook me up to move fast. So, yeah, it was back to reality, to waves, to current. What do you remember of beginning to swim, that moment when now you've your body has snapped into action. I have to get ashore. I have to stop the bleeding. I couldn't explain you how I did it, but that okay. was the best swim of my life. I will oh. never swim again like this. Wow. There were waves, currents, and it was like easy peasy. Between each waves, mostly you do, <gasps> you take a lot of hair, you go down, and you pray to get not really washed up with the waves. This time, it wasn't the case. I didn't have to do such. I, w I couldn't say how I did it, but I really swam fast, preciously, and uh, without, uh, in, in a state of calm, in fact. Really, in a state of calm. The calm was incredible, really intense and I think even if I tried to meditate, I wouldn't reach such a, uh, an incredible moment of clarity. Everything was precise, accurate, perfect. And I got out of the beach, in, uh, I got onto the beach before my friend. I was actually on the sand before him. How far from shore were you at the beginning? Difficult to say. 30 meter, 40. That moment of clarity, what, what do you make of that? What do you think of that calm as you're swimming now? What do you think does that to our minds? Why do you think our minds do that? For me, it was a, an incredible discovering of what we all have inside ourselves. Like we are thinking persons, but we are also animals. And if you think of an animal that is uh, 80 uh, kilos, I don't know in pounds the weight, but well, a big animal like this, you would fear it, right? If you are attacked by a uh, 80 kilos animal and you don't fear about human because we don't know our strength. And I felt like I've been uh, introduced to my own strength. And it was really a great experience this way after yeah, thinking of it after that. Like uh, I've been introduced to the power we all got and we don't have to use.
is still here. That's thousands of uh, millionaires of uh, evolution in ourselves that are ready to fight for survival. And we don't know that. But it is, uh, yeah, I felt like it's... And, I, and if I'm understanding correctly, I he I'm hearing you saying that it's, it's a physical strength, but it's also a kind of psychological or mental strength. That Both. Since, you, since I, I didn't have any thought, any reflection, any mind uh, activity of any kind, it was pure sensation, action. Were you fully so, aware that you're, you were missing a leg at this point, that no. a leg was gone? No. Oh, you were not? Oh, no. Oh, okay. I just okay. felt like when I was swimming, something was strange in the way my, my leg uh, hit the water. It was not the same path as the other. Like it was... Oh. There was no weight attached to my, my pelvis on that leg. So the kicking was was very quick. Exactly. There must have been a moment then when you understood what had happened, when you saw. It was not really eating me because I, I was also already aware of something missing, but I did not uh, understood what exactly or how much, but I, I knew something was missing. So when I came to the, the shore and I step up trying to, to get on my legs, I fall down on the sea and the sand. And, and now, and at that time, they realized that I was uh, attacked and that he, I had one leg off and they needed to help. Just at that time, they really realized it uh, later. And also when I was uh, on the sand, when I fall, I could not see my leg uh, again, so I wasn't uh, looking at my leg. I, I was completely uh, uh, allongé. I was lying, lying down. So I could not see really what happened. And, yeah. and many people around. I remember a friend also crying at that time, looking at me in despair. And I was like, it's okay. Everything was calm inside of me. So. I wasn't wow. in this panic I saw all around me, but I didn't felt it. And so you must not have been in terrible pain either. The shock must have prevented the pain. Huh? Not at all. That's mm. the second incredible discovering I've made this day. There mm. were no pain from the moment it took me until three days later in the hospital. No pain at all. I, I suppose when a lion kills uh, some prey, they are not uh, experiencing pain. So it makes death a lot less... Uh, um, death feels less fearful when you know there is no pain in such a death. So there's an answer, I guess, or at least one answer to what it feels like to be prey. And maybe, I don't know, some small comfort to those who lost loved ones this way, just that maybe it wasn't so painful. Although it raises an adjacent question, which is, what does it feel like to have predation? The real thing, you know, the actual tiger stalking actual villagers or 
the actual polar bear wandering through playgrounds in your town strikes so close to home. Because even if it didn't cause Tangi terrible physical agony in the moment, that attack had to have had a profound effect on his community, especially all his childhood friends at the beach. Yeah, for me, it, it, it changed everything. Um, since that day, I never uh, surfed again in my home spot, which is Le Brison. I cannot. That's Coralie Friedman, a young woman surfer who grew up with Tangi in walking distance from the beach where he was attacked, right there in Etang Saleh. Uh, for me, it's like, this is not my ocean anymore. This is not possible because I used to know a very safe place here. This is like my garden when I grew up. And now there are blood and I'm very scared. Coming up next on Reunion, Shark Attacks in Paradise. Um, I couldn't imagine being bite uh, on my home spot, where my mom grew up also. Uh, I told you that she named me Coralie because of the coral that she saw every day on the beach, at the beach. I couldn't do that to my mom. And I wanted to keep uh, good memories of my home spot. Reunion Shark Attacks in Paradise is a production of Hyper Object Industries, Little Everywhere, and Sony Music Entertainment. It's written, reported, and hosted by me, Dan Duane. Executive produced by Adam McKay, Claire Slaughter, Harry Nelson, Dan Gallucci, and Jane Marie. Produced and engineered by Joy Sanford, Mike Richter, Dan Gallucci, and Jane Marie, with help from Zaley Mahone. Edited by Dan Gallucci and Jane Marie. All final mixes by Mike Richter. Reunion Shark Attacks in Paradise was interpreted by James Christie and Pauline Chardin. Special thanks to all of our voice actors, Fred Gill, Sandrine Ristello, Julio Mendy, and Marley Otto and to the many people on Reunion Island that helped make all of this possible. Mm -hmm.